Good morning. If I lose my voice halfway through this, I apologize. I'm as dry as a Roman sandal, and I'm not really sure why, but we will uh, we'll get there. Before I start, I want to honor all you guys and, and thank you so much. If you, as I know you all saw, it is the most beautiful day outside, and still you guys managed to come and celebrate God with us. And that is so honoring for us to be able to, I know there's a lot of people away, but it's it's encouraging to see guys, even though there's an opportunity to go and hit the surf, because probably today is a, one of those days in winter you can. I, I just appreciate you guys for coming and wanting to <laughs> wanting to celebrate with us. It's so, it, it is super humbling to us and encouraging. I also want us to quickly, before I, before I start, I want us to pray for, for Coco, who is, has landed in the States and begins her studies on Monday at Bethel, and for Kirsten, who is in Cambodia um, and has been giving us a little bit of feedback. So they've had quite some mountains to climb while they've been there. So let's just pray for them now as a family, and I ask that you guys continue to pray for them while um, they are away. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you for, for Coco sacrificing her own finances and to be away from her son and her family and her husband, Father. And we just thank you that, that she's willing to go and to grow in you more, Father. We just pray, Lord, that you just begin to open her heart while she's there, Father. That you give her divine encounters and meetings with, with people that can sow into her for her to be able to come back to this house and give everything that she wants to, Father. We just pray for Sean and River God as, as they... Man the house, Father, and we just we just ask for favor in that too, Father God, that you uh, are with River as he struggles in this time, Father, and that you're with Sean, giving him strength to see what he needs to be doing. We also pray for Kirsten, Father, that while she's there, Lord, that you just give her words of wisdom, Father, encounters with you to share with those people, Father God, that, that you allow her voice to stand in that place, that you allow her to tackle the things that you want her to tackle, Father, to bring your presence into the Cambodia, Father. We just thank you, God. We just ask your kingdom in Cambodia and your will be done there, Father. We thank you for Kirsten and what she's sacrificing in that as well, God. We just pray that you bless her and we just thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All righty. We had a spectacular uh, weekend last weekend. If you missed it, too bad. But if you didn't, if you were there, it was spectacular. We met in the park. We broke bread together. We broke b- bacon and eggs and all kinds of things, sausages. It was actually a, a awesome time to just sit around and tell stories. There were quite a few stories told. Um, if you want to have a look, we're going to put a video up on the web page today or tomorrow. That'll go up on our Facebook so you can go and have a look. But when we do these times, we're going to do more and more of them. We really feel that it's a time for us as a family to gather get together in a different setting, not just in the church building, but we can gather wherever we go. And you know, while we were playing, guys were kicking a football and playing frisbee, there were so many kids and families that came that were in the park that came and hung out. And it just gives us an opportunity to be the church in this, com- in this community. In the Gold Coast, we get to actually go out and be the church. And something I'm going to speak on this morning a little bit. But the reality was that I've been reading a book a- about b- growing church and how-, how we need to change the way we think about it. But it's very rare that a lot of the community will come in through those doors unless we bring them. It's very weird that they'll just randomly walk in through the doors. 
Yes, it happens. We're not going to discount the Holy Spirit from doing that. But if we're not out there in that community, then how can we reach those guys that are in our community? How can we reach those guys that are in the Gold Coast if we're not out there being an active part of that? So a part of these family days is, yes, for us to gather together and grow together. Guys got to sit with people they hadn't really spoken to before and hear their stories and, and be able to share their stories with them. But it also allows us to be in the community and be a voice out there. Not a lot of churches are closing their doors on Sundays to go and sit and meet in parks. So I really encourage you, when we do keep doing these, to come along. It really is quite a tremendous and fun time. All right, if you've got a Bible, can you go to Luke chapter 15 with me? A little unusual for me, we're going to stay in Luke chapter 15. I'm not going to go anywhere else. So you can get there and stay there. When I was preparing this message, I was, I was listening to a song um, by a guy named Corey Asprey who wrote a song called Reckless Love. And it, and it talked about um, the, the parable of the lost sheep. It talked about that God leaves the 99 in order to chase the one. And I started thinking through this and it, and it really captivated me. And I, and I went to the scriptures and, and I decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on, on this. And as I was preparing this preach, God was radically changing my viewpoints of these parables. And he showed me something. I believe he showed me something. The beauty of this thing is that I get to preach it to you and you get to decide whether it's, it's really what God's doing. And I want to challenge you that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the way we see these three verses. And I think, I think we've had it slightly off. And I, and I think that God wants to renew the church, which is what we're, we're on about here at our community. And he wants to change the way that we're actually seeing things. And I think for the most part, we've actually overlooked this verse. At the very beginning, it starts, it starts off in the parable of the sheep. But the, the interesting thing to me is that it's, where it starts is actually the whole reason that Jesus tells the parable. So 15.1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were, were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now, in most of your Bibles, it's split into three parables. But... In the start of that, it says that he told them one parable. So often we've heard this, and I, when preparing this message, I went to a lot of commentaries from, from very reformed thinkers to, to more contemporary thinkers, and they all broke these, these parables up into, we'll just talk about one at a time. But Jesus actually says, well, it says just there in Luke 15, 3, it wasn't Jesus who says it, but obviously the writer says that he told them this parable. So God highlighted this, this, this to me and it completely changed the way that I read these parables because we're seeing them as three and we often hear them preached as three. So you'll hear the preach of the lost sheep and they'll go into detail about the lost sheep and they'll only talk about that one. Or you'll hear the, the parable of the prodigal son, which I'm going to challenge at the end, um, and we'd only hear that. We very rarely hear the middle, the middle parable. And I couldn't understand why, why the middle Jesus put that in there. Because no one, very rarely people preach on the parable of the lost coin. So I started to really rethink what was happening here. And I just want to read it to you as I believe it would have been written. So just to set the scene, remember that Jesus is sitting, he's, he's sitting with sinners and tax collectors. And it's the Pharisees who ask him a question. Why is this man sitting with the, the sinners and the tax collectors, the unclean? Right? They were questioning Jesus's, um 
they were expecting him to be more holy than what he was being in that instance because he was sitting with unclean people. So the Pharisees pipe up and they say, Jesus, what are you doing sitting with these people? And this is how Jesus responds, 15.4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she goes together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And then he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So when he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put it a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead. And is alive. And is alive. He was lost and he's now found. That verse rattles me, but the, the reality of this whole thing is that I, I kept reading, I read it over and over and over again. And God kept showing me that Jesus, in the whole time that he shared those three parables, or the one parable, depending which way you look at it, he was answering the question of the Pharisees. Everything he wrote in that, everything he said, he answered the questions of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees say to him, Jesus, how dare you sit with the sinners and the tax collectors? And he goes, I'll tell you a story. And all we have in the scriptures that we have is that he tells him a story and then he moves on. So we've now taken these verses and we've, we've, we've 
made them say certain things, which I don't think is entirely incorrect, but the reality is, is that we have to look at that in answer to the question that the Pharisees asked. So I want to break down each of them and, and, and look at each, each story and the reality of what Jesus was saying in each of them. The first one that we have is called the parable of the lost sheep. And I think the story is twofold. Most of us here, if we've been in church before, will have heard this preach that Jesus will always come after the, the one. And we talk about how that's intertwined and the, the, the one who's lost gets caught up in the thorns of life. And I've heard that gone through. And we, we often criticize church leaders with this verse as well to say, if you have someone leave your church, you're supposed to go and, and chase after them. But that's not what this is saying. It's actually talking about the lost. Jesus is actually saying that that's the lost son that I have called to my house who hasn't come. So when you actually begin to look at this, what Jesus is saying is that I will go after that one who's lost and bring him home. But I think the, the twofold part, the part that we, we, we solemnly preach is that Jesus is actually challenging us, the church, to leave our house and go and chase the one to bring them home. He's actually saying to us, church, you can't do what you need to do inside the flock because there's always one missing. So it says in, in, some, in some Bibles it says that, G, that the sheep were led to the wilderness. But when you actually look at that word wilderness, it's talking about an empty plain, an open plain. And that, I did a little bit of uh, sheep research. And that for a, for a shepherd, yeah, Google sheep research is quite interesting. <laughs> That flat plain for a shepherd was the safest place that they could leave the sheep because it was in an open place where the sheep could see a wolf coming and they couldn't be stalked by a wolf. So, so he took the, the herd to the safest place that they could, they could get. He nestled them in and then he went out to get that one that was lost. So when we actually look at what Jesus is saying here, he's, he's actually speaking to the Pharisees to say, you guys sit in your house all the time and you never go out and chase the one that's not here. You stay in that place that I've given to you, but you never go and get the one that's not here. So uh, for, for as long as I've been alive, it's always been bring your friends to church and we'll get them saved. But that's not what Jesus is saying in this parable. He's actually saying, no, leave the safety of your flock. Go and get that one that needs to come in and bring them in. He's actually challenging the Pharisee from, to say, hey, uh, you don't have to bring them here and I'll get them saved. You go out there and get them. Get them saved and then bring them to the safety of the flock. When we actually look at it like this, it changes the way that we see church because this, what we have right here on Sunday morning, is the safety of our flock. And we sit in here in a, in a way to say, no, no, we're, we're, we're striving for the gospel. No, the strive for the gospel is to risk the flock to go and get the one that's missing. So I was really challenged by this because I'm looking at it and I'm going, Jesus, it actually makes no sense that you would risk 99 to save one. But he's saying, but that's my son that I'm risking. That, that one is as important as the 99 that are already here. So when we start to, to, to look at it, we go, no, we don't, we don't want to upset anything in the house. We don't, want to, we don't want to possibly lose the 99 that we have. No, of course, Jesus is saying, risk the 99 in order to get that one more. In, in looking at, I meet quite, quite regularly with um, pastors from around the, or, sorry, church leaders from around the, the Gold Coast. And it's interesting watching how, how we're so protective of our flocks. And I understand that. I understand the need to protect the flock. But Jesus in this instance is actually saying, do the best you can, but make sure you go and chase the one that's missing. 
it changes it from the, uh, the way we've always heard it. With, with, and I, I, again, I don't think that's wrong. I think that, that Jesus leaving the flock to chase you, that is absolutely correct. He loves the one as much as he loves the 99. We don't get a level of specialness because we're in the flock. He's pleased with us being in the flock, which I'm going to speak about later. But the reality is, is that one who's missing is just as important as the ones who are here. And it actually says at the end of that verse that, that the angels rejoiced when the one came home. He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous person who need no repentance. The next verse we read, we go on to, and, and when I was writing this, I, I didn't write anything about this middle one because I, I, I didn't make any sense until I, I went to an, a, a commentary from an old, a very old scholar, and he wrote one sentence which, which the Holy Spirit completely unlocked what it was saying in this. He said, a 10-link chain missing one link is useless. That's all the, the, the commentary wrote. And I looked at the coins that she's talking about. You can't buy a bike worth 10 coins with 9 coins. You can't purchase the thing that you need without the full amount of money that you have. So the, Jesus now goes on to say, he's, he's now said to them, you must go out and reach that one that's missing. And then he says that the lady loses the coin. Let's just read it again. What woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it and when she has found it she calls together her friends and neighbors saying rejoice with me for i found the coin that i'd lost she seeks diligently for the one coin without that one coin the the task can't be finished if we sit inside this house and wait for jesus to come back the task isn't finished because he's asked us to go out and to actually bring the gospel to those who don't know what it says so you match this first with the, with the one before, and he's saying, go out and get my one that's missing. Oh, and by the way, it's not finished until you've got the one that's missing. You can't complete the task until we've found all the coins. Now, it offers a, a very wide opportunity to go into a bit of a Calvinistic uh, push there, but I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what Jesus is saying is that I've given you a task to do, and the task is to go and find my coin that's missing. And I love that, that the, the Bible, he uses the word diligently because it's the same word that's used in, in Acts, diligently, that we must give ourselves diligently to the house. There's something about this, this level of work that we have to begin to understand, that when we actually give ourselves wholly to the work of God, he gives us the tools to complete the task. So he's saying in this, in this verse, the first two that we're at, go out and find the one that's lost. Leave your house. I had written in there, leave your ivory tower, but I cut it out because I thought it was a bit rough, but I'm going to go there. <laughs> I thought it was too much of a slap. <laughs> yeah, just slip it in. We must leave this place. If we just build what we, if we just stay in these, in these four walls, and please, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying every second week we need to go out into the park. No, what I'm saying is that when, we, when the church scatters, I preached a few months ago about the church being gathered on a Sunday morning, but when we go back to our houses, we're still the church. We're scattered back into our lives. That's our going. That's our reaching that one that's lost. That's our seeking, sorry, searching for the coin that has been lost, diligently searching. And I am challenged by this as well. I'm challenged by the fact that 
now when, when people ask me, I went to the, the butcher the other day, and the guy said to me, I've become friends with the butcher, because, I don't know, I guess that's what you do when you go to the butcher a lot. <laughs> that's an Aussie thing to do. But he said to me the other day, he said, hey, you come in at odd times, what do you do? And I said, oh, I, I, my wife and I actually lead a church. And you could just see concern on his face. And he said, oh, my dad leads a church. I said, awesome, where's that? And he said, oh, it's in Tweed, it's some AOG church, some weird praying in tongues and things. And I, I actually lit up, I said, hey, that's what, that's what we do. And he looked at me even more concerned now. It'll be interesting when I go back to the, back to the butcher if he actually serves me. But he said, he said, oh, do you? And I said, yeah. I said, I, I do. And, and he said to me, oh, yeah, it's a bit odd. And I said, do you go to church? And he said, no. No, I watched my dad try and live a life like that. It just seems too hard. And my heart broke. I was like, jeepers, that's what we've made the church to be. And I... I left there and I haven't gone back. It'd be cool when I do get to go back. If he does actually serve me, it'd be an interesting conversation. But now I can actually chat with him. But I thought to myself, that's what we're here to do. Be the church to that guy who has no idea what it looks like. To be the church to the person who has never actually heard what God looks like. The love that he has. So when we see the reality of leaving this place to go and chase that 99, sorry, chase the one, God's saying, stop building just inside and go and reach those that I've called you to go and reach. And I've, I've always looked at this because I don't believe I carry a gift of evangelism, but God's saying, that's what I've asked you to go and do. Those that carry that gift of evangelism will do it in a much bigger way. But all I have to do is go and be the reality of the church to those people. That's what finding that final coin is all about, that missing link in the chain. I actually heard an interesting, um, I was having a conversation with Josh and Jeremy's dad, Byron, and he was talking about the fact that we, we're, we look at Jesus returning as a, we'll just sit and wait and he'll come back. But Jesus is actually waiting to come back for us, but he's waiting for the bride to be ready. And a part of the bride being re ready is getting our torches out and diligently looking for that final coin, diligently seeking the one that's missing from the 99 The final verse, Luke 15, verse 11. I'm just going to read it again. He said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he went longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Trust me as one of your hired servants. Sorry, treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and eat it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, look, these... These many years I've, I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now remember that Jesus, this is the last story Jesus told in the answering to the Pharisees who said to him, you cannot hang out with the, the, the lowest of lows, the tax collectors and the sinners. The first thing I want to challenge is that in most of your Bibles, this will be called the parable, um, the prodigal son. Sorry, it's just called the prodigal son. I think that that is incredibly incorrect and I should have never called it that. The reason for that is that there's three people in this story that are incredibly needed to be highlighted. The father, firstly, the younger brother and the older brother. What they should have called it in alignment, and this is just coming from Ben, so you can agree or disagree if you'd like to, but I believe they should have called it the parable of the lost sons because both the sons were lost and it was the father who redeems both sons in the instance. And remembering that Jesus is using this parable to fulfill the, the question. So the first we have is the first son, the, 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 the younger brother, if you will, and he, he gets what is rightfully his in a, in a deranged... Um, need to go and do it his own way. So if, if we look at actually what this is saying, this is the younger brother who's already in the house, is a son and he's already in the house, decides to go out and do it his own way. So he's left the house. This is now not talking about the lost. It's talking about somebody who's already in your house, somebody who is, if you will, in the church and has now decided to leave the church and go and do it his own way. Most of us would have a handful of friends or family who have done it this way. That butcher is this son, the, old, the younger brother. So he goes out, he takes what God's given him, sorry, what his father's given him, the inheritance, he goes out and he squanders the inheritance. And the, the fascinating thing about this is that the son doesn't go home because he misses the love of the father. He goes home because he's hungry. His stomach tells him to go home. <laughs> he wants to be fed. So much so that he realizes, I, I, I don't care if I get what the servants got, they got better than what I'm getting here. So he realizes that even the scraps of the kingdom are better than what he's been given in the world. Even the scraps of the kingdom are better than what he's been giving in the world. So the brother decides, I've had enough, I'm going home. The reason that verse makes me so emotional is that he sees, the father sees the son coming toward him and he runs to the son to embrace him. Sheep is as... Being hurt in churches, I've very, very, very rarely seen a church leader run to someone who's left and embrace them and hug them and say, I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad you understood. Even, even more so, Jesus goes on to take it a step further, which I think we've misunderstood, but in the Jewish context, they understood exactly what this means because Jesus says to them, the father said, bring the best coat that you have. The coat in that Jewish context represented the protection and the love of the father, the returning of the son back to the household. 
that he can come back in and receive fully everything that was in the house. He actually got the protection, the food, the covering of the father, almost to say, son, you're back in my house. Welcome. The next thing that he, he, he gives him is the ring. The ring signified the purchasing of the father, the finances that the father had. It was like a credit card. They were able to give everything the father had with the signet ring because they would use wax and they would be able to imprint it onto things. So the father is actually saying to him, bring him the ring of his sonship. Bring him back what he threw away. So he goes back to say, I'll be, I'll be a servant. He says, I'll protect you and here's your sonship. And the final thing which I, I find fascinating was he puts shoes on his feet and he says to the son, son, I give you back the ability to work in my house. I give you back the ability to continue to walk with me. I give you back the chance to actually grow your inheritance further. Now remember, Jesus is talking to these guys about the concept of sitting with sinners and being with those who are outside of the church family. And in this instance, he's saying, this is the one who's left, who's stuffed up, who's gone out to do it on his own. He's come back and he said, my son, everything I give you. So I just want to toss something out there. If someone was, was to leave a church, is that the way that we would respond to them in the contemporary context? If they, if they truly stuffed up, they did something wrong, they went out and they... Whatever you want to put on it, they, they got drunk regularly, they were, were sleeping with people and they left for a time, they squandered everything, they came back. Can the church say to them, welcome, here's everything that you, you lost. We will protect you in this house. Here's your coat. We will give you back the ability to stand in this place, to preach, to be on the worship team, to clean the toilets, whatever it is they left. Here it is, here it is back. And even more than that, here's your shoes so you can continue to walk with us and grow your inheritance. When we start to look at it like that, we start to realize, jeepers, we've got this thing wrong. That's exactly what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees when he said, go out and get my one that's missing. It's not finished until you get that. And if they stuff up, which they're going to do, embrace them when they come home. The final thing that we see is, the, is the, the other brother, the older brother, who comes to the father. And that word entreat, where it says the father went and entreated him, that word means to plead with him. He pleaded with him. Son, please come. Please come and, and celebrate with us for your brother has come home. And the son says, I'm not doing that. Father, I've given you everything that I've done. I never lost my inheritance. I never screwed up. I should be allowed to preach next. I should be on the worship team. I should be leading the worship team. I, I didn't stuff up. I didn't toss my inheritance away. Why does he get that? And the father says, can't you see that it's so much more important that he's home and well than anything else you're dealing with? You see, the, the, the older brother is most of us in the church. And I love that Jesus slips it in there because the older brother is the Pharisee. That's what the Pharisee was saying. You can't sit with those guys. They haven't done what we've done. They haven't, they haven't kept to the law. They haven't understood who you are. They don't know what's happening. You can't sit with them. They were the older brother. And Jesus slips it in the story to say the older brother had it wrong as well. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is that you think that you've got yourself a nice, fancy church full of people. 
but they're full of the older brother. They're just as lost as the younger brother was. You see, he's challenging the way that we actually grow and build our family. He's challenging the concept of, of the, the contemporary church that we've made it this, this striving step-by-step thing. And he's saying that's not what it's meant to be. In actual fact, the brother saying, hey, he can't have that because he stuffed it up, is completely contrary to what Jesus says about the lost sheep, that they will actually celebrate more for the one who was lost who came home than they will the 99 who were already there. We've got to start to understand that, that Jesus is growing the church because that's the bride that he's coming back for. But he's coming back for a whole body. He's not just coming back for one. Although, yes, he is coming back individually for me, he's coming back for me as part of the body. So we've got to stop fighting. We've got to start realizing that there's a reality in, in leaving this thing and going and getting, not to say we've got bigger, but celebrating, I got one. I got the one Jesus that you're looking for. Bringing them home back into the flock, back into safety, and then going and getting another one. But in the midst of that, if one of them happens to stumble and walk out, we wait for them to come home. And we embrace them. The, the song that, that this guy wrote that really, really stirred something in me, he talks about the fact that the, father, that the love of the Father is reckless. And in our understanding as humans, it is absolutely insane that he wouldn't just close the door to the 99 and go, well, we got 99, we're sorted. That he goes out after that one because the love of the Father is greater than anything that we understand. In actual fact, we can't understand the love of the Father because it really makes no sense. That the fact that she wouldn't have dropped that one coin and gone, well, I've got nine. We'll just deal with nine. But she goes, that was my son. And you know, the reason that Jesus understands all of us to be his children is because we all came from the creation that he started. We all came from a place where God knew who we were says that he knew how many hairs were in our head. He, he knit us together in the womb. That's not just those that are saved. That when that one goes missing, he knows that one that's missing. That when we were created in that Garden of Eden, he's trying to reestablish that garden. And the reality of that is, that's my son. Church, I ask you, I plead with you, please go. Love me first, and I'll show you how to do it. Then love your neighbor. And I think the reality of this, this parable, this one parable, is he's actually telling the, the church, the Pharisees, the leaders of, of what was his bride at the time, is he's saying, firstly, go out of your house and find that one that's missing and bring them in to the flock. Secondly, he's saying, I need diligent hands to finish the work. Diligent people willing to find that final coin. To lock in the fact that it's finished and I'll come back for my bride. And thirdly, you may lose some along the way and they're going to need a returning, heart, a returning father to come to, a returning hand to come to. And you may have some sitting in your house that are also lost that need that same embrace. See, I don't doubt that, that in that prodigal son that the father is, is representing 
God the Father. I don't doubt that at all. But he's actually using that context to express the fact that he was coming home to the house. He was coming home to his body, the church. Yes, the Father embraces him in that return, but the church has to as well because the Father does. So when we, when we learn to understand the love of the Father, which it says, love God first, then love your neighbor. When we learn that, when we understand that, that fatherly embrace is easy because we've already seen it with the Father. That's why he tells us to love first because the loving outward is absolutely inconceivable to us. Because in, in the world standards, the older brother was right. No, he screwed up. Bad luck. But that's not the love of the Father. So if we're going to actually count ourselves Christians and say that we are followers of Christ, then we have to say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to operate in that love. I don't understand it, but I'm going to, I'm going to operate in that, that love. The guy who wrote the song said this, and I, I, I found it quite interesting about God. He said, God is not crazy. He's not out of control or reckless. He is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions in regard to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, with all things considered, it's quite childlike. And might I even suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for you and for me, and he doesn't consider himself first. It's not selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he will gain or lose by putting himself on the line. He simply puts himself out there on the off chance that you and I will look back at him and give him the love in return. His love isn't cautious. It's a love that sent his own son to die a gruesome death on a cross. He gives his heart so completely, so preposterously, that if refused, we would think it wretchedly broken. Yet he gives himself time and time again. And I just love that because it, it, it signifies the love that God has for those who aren't here. But it also signifies the love that God, God has for those who are here. But both as important and both as necessary for what we need to do. So I want to challenge you to go and read this verse. If you have to blank out the, the names at the top of them, but read them as one writing. Read them as one parable that Jesus said because he actually answers the Pharisees, and he says to them, of course I can sit with the sinners because that's what I'm here to do. And of course I can sit with you because that's what I'm here to do. Because in that, in that gathering were sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees and scribes. And he's saying to them, I'm here for all of you, but let me challenge on what you should do when I'm, now, when I'm gone. These are the things you should carry out. Why don't you stand and we'll just pray and then we can... Go and have some snacks and some coffee. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Father, we just thank you, God. Lord, I just thank you, Father, that, that you continue to exalt over us with singing, that you continue to carry us in your hand. Father, that you know the steps that we, we will and won't take, God. 
I thank you for every, every diligent hand, God, who is here this morning, Father. And I thank you for those who aren't, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you begin to send those who need that diligent work, Lord. And more diligent hands, Father, who can come to, to carry that load, Lord. And Jesus, I just thank you that you, you knew where we were going to go wrong all those years ago. You knew that we were going to stuff this up. But you stayed with us and you continue to give us an understanding of how to do it better and better, Father. I just pray here this morning, Holy Spirit, that anything that wasn't of you just falls away. And those things that remain, Lord, just begin to burn in our hearts. That they take us deeper and deeper into an understanding and a relationship with you. To know you better. To understand your love so that we can give it to others. To understand your love so that we can sit in that and have that be the well of our life. I just thank you, God, and we honor you this morning, Father. The very reason that we come and gather together is just to worship your name. So we just exalt you here this morning. We love you, God. We honor you, Father. And in your wonderful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Go. Oh, go and be well. Go. That was emphasized, wasn't it? Go and be well. Go and have some cake, some tea.